This is a sermon podcast from Ashland First United Methodist Church in Ashland, Oregon. Visit us online at ashlandmethodist.org for more sermons like this, church information, and how to get involved. Ashland Methodist, a community of open hearts, open minds, and open doors. As we enter the fourth week of Lent, it's been a marathon, and Megan reminded uh, today that she came in pink. Where's Megan? Megan's in Sunday school. She came in pink. She brought pink flowers, and it is the tradition um, in the church liturgy that on the midpoint of Lent, it's kind of like you get to break your fast and you get to be a little bit more humorous and light and playful, knowing that Easter is upon us, that we're almost there. It's that marker saying that we're almost there. And it's called Latare Sunday. And it's the Sunday when we get to take a break from all our fasting. But guess what? I'm not letting you off the hook. (laughs) So today, uh, as we are diving into our fourth week of uh, Lent, and looking at the different spiritual practices for Lent, we will be exploring the practice of reading and reflecting on the scriptures, on the Bible. As we heard from Dan McKay, today's uh, scripture lesson points that Jesus himself was deeply steeped into the holy Hebrew scriptures, referring to them in every other area of his life. He used the scriptures to answer those who tested him, to resist temptations, to find guidance, to encourage his own heart, as well as comforting others, to explain his actions, and ultimately to strengthen his face as he faced his biggest challenge, that in dying he would show God's love, unconditional love, for all people. So likewise, the Bible, this amazing, powerful, sacred tool, continues to equip, guide, shape, and reveal how to live in a life-giving way so that we can deepen our relationship with God and others as well. But if that is the case, Why is it so hard to read the Bible? Right? How many of us kind of feel that way? Yeah, there's some text in there. You're going, oh my goodness, what is this all about? Well, we like the idea of reading the Bible, but when we crack it open, we find it difficult to understand, and we sometimes have no idea how to approach it. The Bible is supposed to speak to us, but sometimes it's so cryptic that you feel like you need a master's in theology to understand it or to unlock it. And you know, there are good reasons for that because the Bible is complex. The Bible was written by over 40 people, including kings, fishermen, scholars, peasants, over a course of 1,600 years That's 60 generations. It was written on three continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, and from different places like prisons, wilderness, 
palaces, and on the road. This one book is more than one book. It's a library. It's a collection of 66 books. And it contains a variety of styles and genres, like poetry and history and law and letters and personal accounts and stories and some pretty awesome, amazing visions and dreams. The Bible was originally written in three different languages, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, and the Greek. Then it got eventually translated into Latin, and then over the centuries it has been translated into over 2,000 languages. The first English translation was completed in the late 1300s, and the famous King James Version was completed and translated in the late 1600s. No wonder it can be so challenging to understand the Bible. So yes, having a master's of theology is helpful, but it's not a requirement. You see, the miracle of the Bible is that it has touched and transformed people from scholars with overwhelming knowledge and research to simple folks with little or no education. Biblical education definitely does add insights into the original language and knowledge of the culture and the historical situations, which actually do help us better understand the core messages in these texts. But the words of the Bible also transcend economic, socioeconomic, cultural, and educational barriers. When people earnestly and prayerfully read, seeking God's wisdom and love through these pages, the words in the scriptures, the Bible becomes what I call the living word of God in people's lives. Now, I have a disclaimer here. Don't get me wrong. I'm not dismissing the importance of education. I'm all for it because it really helps to understand the Bible. But I am stressing that the lack of scholarship does not keep us from being nourished and inspired by the words revealed in the Bible. The Bible is a book about life. And life comes with drama, intrigue, and emotion. Life comes as a story, and the Bible comes as a story as well. When we approach the Bible a story, the story of God and God's people, it remains dynamic and present today because the story continues in and through us. We are a part of this living story, the breathing story of God that is passionate in terms of our relationship with each other and God. Today, I want to share with you a story, a personal story, that illustrates how God meets us in the pages of the Bible and shapes us in unexpected ways. The story takes place on a mission trip to Chicago, a youth mission trip to Chicago, several years ago. The mission trip was to do some urban work in Chicago to help um, youth understand what it's like to have poverty in um, urban settings. 
at the time, uh, the experience of poverty was not as big as it is now in our valley when we went to Chicago. So it was kind of an eye-opener for our young people. Uh, their uh, job, so to speak, was to work at different inner-city sites that provide several underprivileged uh, boys and girls clubs. And we were there during the week of the 4th of July. And what that meant was that on Wednesday, on the 4th of July, all the sites that we were supposed to work at were closed. So, not to waste a day on a mission trip, not sightseeing, uh, the directors uh, designed a special scavenger hunt to help the youth get better acquainted with the impoverished neighborhood of the church where we were staying that week. So, the youth were given a big black trash bag with day-old bread and a long scavenger list, one of the items, of course, being distribution of the bread to potential hungry folks on the streets. That was when we met Marcus with his shopping cart, the perfect candidate for pawning off some bread. He had an empty grocery cart. The kids were so excited. So, decided, so they decided to offer him as many loaves of bread as he could possibly take. You know, they were ready to check that off their list. Well, <laughs> Marcus um, was uh, very interesting, and to our surprise, he very humbly accepted two loaves of bread, one for himself and one to share with a friend, explaining to us that by doing that, it would allow us to be able to share more bread with other people on the street as we went on our way. I was struck by Marcus and his spirit. He had this gentle, effusive, toothless smile that invited further interaction. And I was trying to encourage the youth to slow down and spend some time talking to Marcus. I love talking to strangers. No surprise there. But the youth were on a mission <laughs> to cross off the next item on their scavenger hunt list and be the first ones back to the church. It bugged me the whole time we were on the scavenger hunt. There was something about Marcus that kept tugging at me, and I could not let it go, and I kept telling the kids and nagging the kids every day, we should have stayed and talked to him. And of course, they just rolled their eyes. There goes Dorita with her God sightings again. Well, two days later, we were returning home from our work site, and just before I found a, sparking, a parking spot on the street, my co-pilot, Youth, started shouting, stop the van, stop the van, Dorita. And I'm going, oh my goodness, what's wrong? You know, I'm about to hit somebody. It's him, it's him. <laughs> sure enough, there was Marcus coming down the alley, pushing his grocery cart. So I parked the car and I went to meet Marcus with a youth tagging behind me. Marcus was wearing a flannel shirt in the heat of a humid Chicago summer. 
Moved by that sight, the youth returned to the van and brought him some water, and they offered him some of our leftover bag lunch food, which he graciously accepted. So I slowly started to engage in a conversation with Marcus, and, and I got him to tell a little bit about his story. He got kicked out of high school for sniffing glue in workshop class. It was a big disappointment for him and for his teacher because he really connected with that teacher and loved that teacher. But by sniffing glue, he missed out on the opportunity to finish high school. He had been living on the streets of Chicago ever since. The week before, he had celebrated his 55th birthday. As we talked, I noticed that he had this worn-out Bible in his cart, carefully secured in a Ziploc bag. And so I asked him how he spent, um, if he spent much time reading the Bible, and what was his favorite passage, and how did he go about reading the Bible? At this point, he became incredibly lively and started sharing his favorite way of reading the Bible. He said, I just insert my name for a name or pronoun in the scriptures, and I find myself in the story. Sometimes I'm King David, strong and faithful, writing this beautiful poetry. Other times I feel like King David's brokenness, and it points to my own brokenness. Other times I feel like the Samaritan woman, and I'm stunned at how loved and forgiven I am by Jesus. I also see myself as Jesus. Not that I am Jesus by any means, but I try to awaken his spirit in me. And when I do, I begin to see people Jesus' way of seeing. For the more stories I read, the more I feel at home in the Bible. By this time, the youth are awestruck. So I ask one last question. Before we go, any last words of wisdom you would like to share with these young people? And he replied, when you are young, Life seems so exciting, and you will be tempted in so many different ways. Or you will get busy and get lost with other stuff. But no matter where you go, what you do, make sure not to forget to take God with you. Stay in school, don't do drugs, and love God. That day, our lives were changed, shaped by the story of a man on the streets who steeped himself in the living words of God. What we had just witnessed was the mysterious power of God's Spirit to shape and transform one person's life through the pages of the Bible. But in doing so, it transformed us as well. Marcus's declaration of God's love in his life marked us with God's love as well. 
And as the kids who went on that trip, who had that experience, like to say, Marcus, Marcus with God's love. That is what makes the Bible the living word of God, that its story continues in our lives too. When we immerse ourselves in telling and retelling the narrative of scriptures, we draw closer to understanding our own part in God's loving and loving story as well. So on this fourth week of Lent, we have the opportunity to engage in an intentional scripture reading plan for the week. As we approach Easter, I encourage each of us to re-enter the story of Jesus as our own by spending time in the gospel of Mark. So in your bulletin, I have printed a suggested seven-day reading schedule or reading plan and a few guiding questions for your daily reflection. I would encourage you to keep a, a journal, uh, whether on your phone or on your computer or in a little tablet, writing answers to the reflections on the daily readings. For some of you, this may be um, old knowledge, but I felt like I would give you a little introduction to Mark. So of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Mark is claimed to be the first of the Gospels written, the oldest one, as well as the shortest Gospel. The other Gospels contain all but 31 verses that are also in Mark. Mark also records the most miracles than any of the other Gospels. The author of the Gospel, named Mark, was not one of the original 12 disciples, but supposedly a travel companion to Paul, as well as working closely with Peter. Probably that's where he gained most of his knowledge about Jesus. Mark probably wrote to readers who were Roman, and they were more interested in what Jesus did than in fulfilled prophecies. If you want the fulfilling of the prophecies, read Matthew. So Mark's uh, presentation is very rapid in succession and vivid, and it portrays vivid pictures of Jesus in action, exposing Jesus' true identity as the servant leader, revealed by what he does and not necessarily by what he says. Mark is Jesus on the move. One gets the impression that Mark is writing with a sense of urgency. Depending on your translation, he mentions the word immediately 27 times in 16 chapters. Mark portrays Jesus as a man of power and miracles, yet the Son of God was willing to be the suffering servant who would give up his life to show God's love. The clear purpose of Mark was to encourage the Gentile Christians in Rome who were facing great persecutions from the Emperor Nero. So hopefully, the gospel will engage you in some critical and creative thinking 
as well as analytical and emotional pursuits, all leading to spiritual formation and faith expression and not just biblical information. If you find yourself excited to do what Marcus did, put your name in every other pronoun or name and see how that feels, what insights you gain. And finally, a very important part when reading the scriptures, in my opinion. When we read and interpret the Bible for spiritual formation, ultimately, it needs to lead you and others to more awe, more faith, more loving, and more hopeful. Marcus, with your love, God. Amen.